and welcome to the Waffler's Halloween Special. <laughs> It is Luke Private here, the best guest on the Wafflers. So I've been told to do the voiceover for this Halloween special. In the story, it's Halloween night and Danny's walking in a thunderstorm looking for the one and only Tom Sands. Blockbuster store. And uh, voiceover guy, I'll make a better voiceover guy so you, you can retire. Where's this blockbusters of Tom's? Why does it sound like I'm wearing heels? Oh, jeez. Oh, Wet out there. Tom? Tommy? Mr. Slemmin? Oh, must be in the back. Let me just climb over this counter. And open this big oak door. Tom? What? What the fuck? These potions! It's a bubble of noise! The Craig's off! What the fuck? Well gather around folks, it's a tale to behold About Danny from the Wafflers, brave and bold In Wirral's town, where legends abound With Tom Slemon's stories, we'll cover the ground It's a monster mash, with Danny in the mix Invisible friends, Apollo pulled and tricks With Pete and his ponies, and laughter so grand In the haunted studio, where legends stand now Danny's got a buddy with a thirst for cheer He'll drink all night, he's got nothing to fear But when the spirits rise, he's the first to flee From the ghostly tavern, they'll set him free It's a monster mash with Danny in the mix Invisible friend Apollo pulling tricks With Pete and his ponies and laughter so grand In the haunted studio, where legends stand Peter's the one with ponies love so rare But his invisible friend Apollo's always there But they ride through the night in the moon's soft glow Invisible hooves on paths we don't know It's a monster mash with Danny in the mix Invisible friend Apollo pulling tricks With Pete and his ponies and laughter so grand In the haunted studio where legends stand now Tom Slemon's tales they weave and spin In the haunted town where legends begin Danny lad with ghosts and the goblins and folk from so deep In the haunted mash we have secrets to keep So here's to Danny, Tom Slemon and the crew In the Waffler's mystery they'll venture through With Apollo's mischief 
a Pete's Pony Prize in the Monsters Mash ride side by side. It's a Monster Mash with Danny in the mix. Invisible friend Apollo pulling tricks with Pete and his ponies and laughter so grand in the haunted studio where legends stand. Now our tale ends but the legends persist in Widow's Darkest Corners. He'll always exist with Danny Tom Slemon and friends so true in this monster mash the adventures for you oh, oh, bloody hell daddy lad scared, scared the heebie jeebies out of me there lad long time no see anyway fella put it there lad oh, oh Jesus nice to see you Tom oh, you smell just like a father figure daddy lad just like a father figure Oh, I'm sorry you uh, seeing me belt that out. Uh, it's, a, it's a great tune. Uh, how have you been, Donnie lad? Yeah, I've been fine, Tom. Love, love the establishment you've got here. What, what made you get a blockbusters in this day? Ah, oh, you see, Danny lad. It's all a rage when I was a, a wee adult in his 40s. Everyone went to blockbusters and I thought, why not live the dream? Hey, Danny lad, why not live the dream? No, no, yeah, I remember when we were in uni together. It was always your dream, and uh, you know, in this day and age now, it's like proper hipster place to go. I, I really, I really dig it, dog. Ah, uh, thank you, Danny lad. Have you had anyone uh, famous in? Ah, uh, yes, I had, uh, I had a Rick Ashley in. Ashley, uh, he, he wanted to. He said to me, uh, he said, "You're right, Tom," because uh, he, he sounds a bit like Ringo Starr. And he goes, uh, "Could I rent Batman Forever?" And I said. <laughs> No, Rick. You can borrow. You can rent it for three days. <laughs> and, uh, and then he wanted to borrow a Disney film, and uh, he was very disappointed because I said uh, I'm never going to give him up. <laughs> Bravo, Tom. Ah, well, I'll hear from the best, Danny lad. The best. Ah, oh, thank you, thank you very much, Tom. Oh, Danny, maybe you'd be able to help me out, Danny lad. Uh, this has been stuck in my head for quite a few days. Uh, picture this, we were both button naked. What's that from? I don't know, Danny lad. It just popped in my head, and it, it, it's 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 just it's from something, though, isn't it? Picture this, we were both button naked. What, what is that? Is, is it from a song? <laughs> I don't think so. Have you tried examining it. One minute, Danny lad. Picture this, we were both butt naked. Oh, let me have a go. Picture this, we were both butt naked. Piece of shit fucking phone oh, these down, days. Oh, down. Picture this, we were both butt naked. I feel like it, I feel like it's from a movie. Yeah, maybe. Bambi? Is it from Bambi? No, no, it's not from Bambi. I literally just finished watching Bambi last night. It's so funny, by the way, Danny lad. I was literally dying. Oh no. So sorry to hear that. Yes, Danny lad. AIDS. Picture this, we were both butt naked. Is it butt naked or buck naked? Um, I think it's butt. I think it's butt naked. But a young buck is a deer, and that would make sense if it was in Bambi. Mmm. Mmm. Well, I think it's butt naked because you can see your butt when you're naked. But mm. but also, and I'm just playing devil's adjective here, buck naked. Hmm. Deers are always naked, Danny lad. That is true, Tom. Picture this, we were both butt naked. Picture this, we were both butt naked. Oh, 
I know exactly what it is. What is it? It's from Titanic. It's from Titanic. When? Remember that scene in Titanic when Jack is Peyton Rosa and then they get in the car and they get butt naked in the car because the car is so hot. Yes, you legend! And then the, and then the, the hands on the steamed window and, and they had to get naked because the car yes, was so hot. Yes, Danny lad. And then at the end of the movie when Rosé is, Rose is, is that old, vile, disgusting looking lady telling her grandkids the story of how she met Jack on the Titanic and she goes, uh, Did you we were both butt naked? naked? Oh my God, that's it. Oh, that was going to drive me mad, Tom. Did I? Did I? I believe that I went to cinema with you to watch that, didn't I, Danny lad? No, no, no. No. What wasn't me? Uh, what's that? Is that a VHS? Ah, yes, Danny lad. I got you a little something. It's for the uh, little kiddie winks in, at home that you've got. Uh, all three of them. It's called Bedtime Stories. Yeah, apparently it's, uh, it was quite popular back in the day. And uh, you put it on and it helps your kids fall asleep. Should we put it on now? Give it a little listen. A little. Should we give it? Put it on now and give it a little watch, Tom. I don't see why not. Now's a good time as yeah, as ever. Everybody. That's right, it must be your bedtime, because it's time for Bedtime Stories. I'm Dr. Horlicks. No, I'm Mr. Rehypnol. Dr. Rehypnol. <laughs> I'm Mr. Rehypnol, and as always, I'm joined by Dr. Dr. Horlicks. <laughs> Right, what's our names? You're Dr. Hitmall and I'm Mr. Horlicks. Dr. Rowe. Just Dr. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Hello, everybody! That's right, it must be bedtime because it's time for Mr. Horlicks and Dr. Hitmall. That's right, gang, we're back. This story is called Jeff the Talking Mongoose. A talking mongoose, you say? I do. Jeff the Mongoose was an alleged talking animal that lived in the farmhouse of the Irving family. The farmhouse was located in the Isle of Man. Famously, where Peter shagged his sister. Very true. In September 1931, the Irvin family, consisting of James, Margaret, and 13-year-old Rory, Rory claimed that they heard scratching and rustling coming from behind the farmhouse wooden panels. James laid down traps, poison, but the noise continued. No. 
One day he tried to scare the creature by growling at the wall like a dog. And to his surprise, it growled right back at him. No. Soon we heard it was singing nursery rhymes in an eerie childlike manner. We love nursery rhymes in an eerie childlike manner. And we love children. Before coming out and introducing itself a few days later, a clever mongoose called Jeff, who had been born in New Delhi, India. Oh, he travelled far, did he not? He sure did. Was then hunted before escaping to the Isle of Man. All people who are hunted end up in the Isle of Man. That is true. They are very, very touchy. Vori described the t- creature as being the size of a small rat with yellow fur and a large bushy tra- tail. Trail. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff told him he was an earthbound spirit <gasps> and a ghost in the form of a mongoose. Oh. However, more chillingly, he warned that he was an extra, extra clever, but not always kind mongoose. Oh. As, as we know, children... We should always be kind, particularly to mongoose. Initially, Jeff assumed the role of being a pet that also took on household jobs, as you should do, children, as you tidy your room. The Irvings said Jeff guarded their house, let them know guests were arriving, told people that if one of them left the fire on, before going downstairs to put it out himself. What a mongoose he was. However, his warnings about being cruel were right. <gasps> Jeff would often lose his temper at the Irvings, calling James a fat-headed gnome. A fat-headed gnome? It doesn't get much more serious than that, kid. Well, he even threatened to kill them all. <gasps> oh, it just got more serious. Than that. Vori. Vori. Vori was scared of Jeff and slept in her parents' bed to avoid being alone in the dark with him. However, the mongoose didn't take kindly to this, telling James, I'll follow her wherever you put her. One night, when the family tried to barricade the door with chairs and boxes so he couldn't get in, Jeff made the door bulge until it crashed open. Strong mongoose. Strong, extra strong mongoose. A strong goose. A, a mong strong. <laughs> a mong strong goose. <laughs> oh, the laughter we have, kids. Strong. The family gave him biscuits, chocolate, and bananas. Food would be left for him in a saucer suspended from the ceiling, which he would take when he thought no one was watching. <gasps> sneaky mongoose. Uh, mong sneak? Sneak mongoose? 
the earrings also claimed that Jeff would accompany them on trips to the grocery store. Yeah, I was going to say Gregory store for that. <laughs> After the media heard about Jeff, they flocked to the Irvings' home. Several visitors claimed to have heard Jeff's voice, and two even claimed to have seen him. <gasps> oh, the theories that were thrown around about Jeff were crazy. He was a figment of the Irvings' imagination, a mongoose that had been possessed by a poltergeist or a real talking animal. Wowee! The story gripped the nation at that time. Several ghost hunters and journalists visited. Sorry, several ghost hunters and journalists visited the Irving's home in an attempt to uncover the mystery. With one reporter even saying that the creature had given him tips for the horse races. <laughs> What's happening? A mongoose. They said that they got fucking tips for the horse races of a mongoose. However, physical evidence was lacking. Footprints, stains on the wall, and hair samples were claimed to have been evidence of jest. Did you okay? However, physical evidence was lacking. Footprints, stains on the wall, and hair samples were claimed to be evidence of Jeff's existence. The evidence was later identified as belonging to the Irving sheepdog Mona. No, not Mona. We all love Mona. The Irving family left the home in 1945 after the death of James Irving. Aww. Aww. The farm also reportedly had a reputation of being haunted. In 1946, Leslie Graham, an actor, bought the Irvings farmhouse and claimed in the press that he had accidentally shot and killed Jeff. Oh no! <sighs> Poor Jeff! What has he done to anyone? However, the body displayed by Graham was black and white and much larger than the mongoose. Vory Irving was certain that it was not Jeff. The story of Jeff is criticised as being a hoax perpetrated by the family or ventriloquism used by Vory Irving. An Isle of Man examiner reporter claimed he had caught Vory making noises and afterwards her father tried to convince him that it came from somewhere else. However, Vory Irving maintained that Jeff was not of her creation all the way to her death in 2005. What do you think, children? Was Jeff real? I think Jeff was real. I think a mongoose can talk. (laughs) Well, children... (laughs) I think a... Jesus. I can't get through that sentence. I think a mongoose can talk, and I also believe mongoose can be sneaky little creatures. Don't you Don't you think, kids? You can be sneaky too. I've seen you take the Harry bow. 
That's it, children. Climb into bed. Snuggle up to your toy mongoose that you bought from thewopplers.com. Little teddy bear there for you. Yeah. Close your eyes. We'll just stay here singing little songs. Yeah, you little waffle pots. To slowly close your eyes. Mr. Horlicks, Mr. Horlicks, how do you do? How do you do? Hello, Dr. Hypnol. Hello, Dr. Hypnol. Time The time has come to say good night, to say sleep tight till the morning light. The time has come to say good night, it's the end of a lovely day. Time has come to say good night, to say sleep tight till the morning light. The time has come to say good night, it's the end of a lovely day. We've had so much fun today. Tomorrow's just a dream away. Now it's time to say good night at the end of a lovely day. They were fucking creepy, wasn't he, Danny lad? And that other one with the long hair, he barely spoke. Looks like he's coming down with something. Danny? Oh! Are you asleep, Danny lad? Oh, you are. I may as well crack on with my work. Let me see here. Devilishly handsome radio figure. <laughs> Hoarder. Seeking women with big personality. Who is a moderate drinker. Morally adventurous. Must like horror movies. Enjoying walks on the beach. Well, short walks on the beach. Loves hanging out with minor local celebrities. And send. Oh, Tiffany. My beautiful little half Persian, half bobcat. Oh, do you like that, Tiffany? Oh, Tiffany, would you like to watch the next video with me? Seems Danny's asleep. Oh, you do? Well, this one is called The Haunted Hostels of Europe. And now, for a special Halloween presentation by yours truly, Vogue. A special story for your chilling Halloween night by Danny Whiting, Haunted Hostels of Europe. Once upon a chilling night in the heart of Europe, there was a man named Andy, an adventurous soul who loved traveling on a budget. He embarked on a backpacking journey. He was a sucker for staying in eerie hostels and old motels across the continent. Andy's journey took him to a city in Poland called 
Sobotka. Sobotka. Known for its history. Eager to explore, he found an old dilapidated hostel, tucked away in a dimly lit alley. Its faded sign swings ominously in the wind, barely clinging to the weathered brick facade. The entrance is flanked by broken streetlights, casting eerie shadows. As Andy enters, the creaking floorboards under his feet add to an unsettling ambience. The reception desk is barren, covered in dust and cobwebs, with a surly receptionist who seems uninterested in his presence. The walls are adorned with peeling paint and graffiti, showcasing a history of neglect. The lobby area is a mishmash of worn-out couches and rickety tables. The guests are motley crew of unfriendly strangers. Sit in our hushed conversations, our glare at our newcomers. Tension hangs in the air as aggressive whispers and sidelong glances punctuate the uncomfortable silence. Andy thinks to himself, this is an intimidating hostel. It's best to keep my head down, avoid eye contact. He checks into the old hostel and makes his way to his room and the only sound that broke the silence were the occasional arguments echoing through the narrow halls. The hallway towards his room was covered with faded portraits. Their eyes seemed to follow him, causing a shiver down his spine. The room was cramped with rusted beds and musty mattresses that have seen better days. Flickering fluorescent lights add to the eerie atmosphere, and one solo window looking out to the alleyway and the front of the hostel. As night descended, strange sounds echoed through the corridors, and the creaking floorboards beneath his bed seemed to protest an unseen presence. Unable to shake off the unease, Andy pulled out a bottle of Westons and took a gulp and then pulled the covers tightly around him, hoping to drown out the creepy sense of dread. Just as Andy drifted into a restless slumber, he was awoken by someone getting hurt. It says scream sound effects here, Dan. I don't know if you want me to add them or if you want to do them, but it says scream sound effects. It was right outside the door. He could hear someone fall right against his door. And he could see the door was shaking viciously, as if someone was trying to get in. And he stepped out of his bed and walked towards the door. He looked through the people to see five or six guys beating someone to death. And he could hear the wet thuds. And he could hear the victim's screams, begging for his life. He could see the man kicking him in the ribs, swamping on his head. Andy realized he was watching someone die. The six men walked away and exited down the hallway. Andy starts looking for his phone frantically, not knowing where he had put it. Andy wanted to phone the emergency services to see if he could help this person. Every moment that passed, he could feel the man's life leave his body. 
We finally found his phone, stuffed at the bottom of his bag. He asked for the police, but the phone doesn't seem to have any signal. So he quickly runs to the window and pulls the curtains to one side as he tries the window. But the window doesn't budge. It's bolted shut. This is where Andy noticed that all six men have made their way out of the hostel, but he has drawn their attention. All six men look at Andy and their eyes meet. He has never felt more intense fear in his entire life. Dread washes over Andy. His body turns calm and the six men run back into the hostel. Andy panics and jumps into his bed. He pulls the blanket over his head as if he were a child and he goes completely stiff. More scared than he has ever been in his entire life. Andy can hear the men's feet slamming onto the floors as they race through the corridors towards his room. The men start boosting down the door. It's not long before the door swings open and the covers are ripped off him. Andy opens his eyes to see six men surrounding his bed. He tries to scream, but he is completely frozen in fear as the first man goes to hit Andy with what looks like a hammer. Andy wakes up. Lying in a bed covered in cum and a cold sweat, Andy starts being physically sick. He could have sworn it was real. It didn't seem like a dream. He stays awake for the rest of the night, until morning when he packs his stuff and goes to check out. He walks through the empty hallways towards the reception, but he can't seem to find a staircase. Desperate to escape, Andy tries to flee the room, but the hostel seems to transform around him, leading him back to his own room again and again and again. He was trapped in this nightmarish loop, tormented. With each passing hour, the hostel's grip on Andy tightened. He felt his sanity slipping away. The walls began to stretch and bleed. The world around him and outside of his windows turned black. The whispers and his voices in his mind grew louder, screaming at Andy to end it all now. He begged and pleaded for it to end, but the voices said to him, It must be you to do it. You must end it. A knife appeared on the desk before him. With all of his will wanting this nightmare to end, he quickly grabbed the knife and pressed it hard against his throat. Andy! A voice cried out. No! He screamed. Please let me do it. Andy, wake up! Before the voice could be heard, Andy pushed the knife deep into the muscles and tendons of his neck. Blood poured from his neck and sprayed up his throat into his mouth. And he gagged and spat. A thick, dense liquid kept coming, with no end to the stream. And he gagged again. With each cough came a flash of light. Again, again, and again. One final gag, and and he woke up to find what was a hellish nightmare to a long desired dream. Danny's long, veiny cock was pulled from Andy's mouth and folded back into his pants. Oh, Andy, you fell asleep again, Danny cried out with what I'm sure was a disappointing end. With empty beer bottles scattered around him, Andy cried, I'm sorry, Danny, my sweet, sweet whiskered snuggle dumpling. I think I overdid it last night. I was having the worst dream. Don't worry, Andy. It's just you and me. You're safe. Here on our lads tour of Europe.
from that day on, he never drank Westons again. Now he's on the whiskies, and the eerie hostels of Europe. A reminder that some places carry a history of darkness that no traveler can ever truly escape. Oh, wasn't that excellent, Tiffany? Oh, yes. Would you like to watch another one? Well, this next one is a personal favourite of mine. It's called Parrot by Carmen Brufel. I babysat a parrot. It said some disturbing things. My neighbour, Henry Johnson, would be out of town for two weeks. His wife had just left him, and he needed to clear his head. So he asked me to house-sit. As a broke college student, I said yes. The house-sitting duties included taking care of the Johnson's parrot, a 17-year-old African grey named Snickers. I didn't know much about birds, but he'd left me detailed instructions on how to take care of her. The first night of my job, I decided to stay for a few hours. I needed to get some college work done, and the Johnson's large, empty house was the perfect place to study. After feeding Snickers and giving her water, I got set up on the couch. But it wasn't long before she interrupted me. Stop! I whipped around. Snickers was standing on her perch, staring at me with one grey eye. Stop! Stop! She repeated. Rolling my eyes, I went back to my work. Differential equations. Why did I decide to major in engineering again? I tapped my pencil against the page. Maybe it's time for another snack break. Stop! Oh God, stop! Snickers was bouncing from one perch to the other, bobbing her head, as carefree as could be, but the way she said that sent shivers down my spine. She was clearly imitating someone in distress. Probably just repeating from a movie, I told myself. But I was so wrong. Stop! Oh God, stop! Henry, stop! <laughs> I do sound like Marge Simpson. <laughs> Henry, that was his name, Henry Johnson. I turned and stared at the parrot. She stared back at me and whistled a few times and then she continued. Stop, oh God, stop Henry, stop, oh God. My blood turned to ice. I stared at the parrot, my heart hammering in my chest. What exactly happened here? What is she repeating? I decided to call my parents, but they didn't seem to share my level of concern. You're on Sheila now to parrot. My mum said. That thing would pick up all kinds of crazy words. Movies, phone conversations, it'd scream, say the F word, everything. I wouldn't worry Abby, especially with Rachel leaving him and all. They probably had some huge fights the parrot picked up on. I wouldn't be surprised if it got worse. And she was right. Over the course of the next hour, Snickers continued to repeat, Stop and Henry but also said a variety of other things, from curses to pleasantries and movie quotes. Fuck you! I love you, Jenny! 
Some for Batman. Barbara shrimp. Bubble potatoes. Finally, around 10 o'clock, I started getting ready to leave. Threw my notebook in my backpack, switched off the lights and headed for the door. Goodbye, Snickers, I called out into the darkness. Then I reached for the doorknob. Put the knife down! I froze in my tracks. I couldn't see Snickers anymore, but I could hear her, rustling around in her cage. Her hooked feet clacking against the metal rails, feathers flapping in the silence. Maybe she's just quoting another movie. Maybe she's... Put the knife down, Henry! The bird repeated. My heart dropped. Stop! Oh, God! Stop! Oh, God! Snickers was agitated. I could hear her feathers hitting the metal rails of her cage as she flapped her wings. Thunk! She hopped back and forth, perch to perch as she clicked her beak erratically. Stop! Oh, God! Stop! I stood there for a long time, seconds stretched into minutes, but she didn't say anything more, just clicked and whistled and flopped around in her cage. I flicked the lights back on, dropped my backpack on the floor, and made a beeline for the Johnson's bedroom. Henry was very clear with his instructions. I wasn't supposed to enter any of the bedrooms or the basement. I was supposed to stay on the main level no matter what. But I climbed the stairs anyway. After looking around, I found their bedroom. It was neat and tidy, the burgundy bedspread laying smoothly over the mattress. I walked around, my heart hammering, hoping what I was imagining wasn't true. But it was, because in the closet I found a small box, a small box containing Rachel Johnson's purse and driver's license. I made my way back down the stairs, my legs shaking. Snickers looked at me curiously from her cage. I turned out the lights, locked the door and hurried down the sidewalk. As soon as I get home, I'm calling the police. As soon as I... I pulled out my phone to see a text from Henry Johnson. I asked you not to enter the bedroom. I whipped around, but the dark sidewalk extended behind me, totally empty. How did he... Oh, a camera, of course. I broke into a run towards my parents' house. At the corner, almost there. I didn't pull out my phone, didn't stop until I was locked safely in my parents' house. Then, finally, I read the text that he sent. If you tell anyone else, you will pay. I didn't listen, I called the police, and after a thorough search at the house, they found something horrible. Rachel's body in the freezer in the basement. Henry was trying to flee town but got a head start by making it look like he was just going on vacation. So he hired me to house sit. I don't think he realised Snickers might repeat what she had heard that night. And sometimes I wonder if Snickers knew more than she let on. Because apparently she was Rachel's pet from before they were even married. Maybe she wasn't just mindlessly repeating. Maybe she was trying to get justice for Rachel. Wasn't that creepy? Sometimes when I watch horror films or I read a particularly scary novel, I like to switch the light on and watch something a little bit light-hearted. Like Heartbeat or Keeping Up Appearances. 
Well, this next one is by yours truly. It's called The Wobble Crumbs. In a dusty ramshackle cottage on the edge of a quiet forgotten village lived the Wobblecrumbs. A family whose every day was a jumble of struggles and empty pockets. The Wobblecrumbs were as poor as poor could be, but they possessed an extraordinary treasure. Their love for each other. Callum the youngest of the Wobble Crumbs was a scruffy young lad with a twinkle in his eye and a mop of unruly hair that seemed to have a life of its own. Each morning, Callum's tummy would rumble and his curiosity kicked in. He was on a quest for food. One day, while he was digging in the allotment, his phone rung. So he answered it. It was two girls asking him to come to a party that night. Callum declined numerous times. Callum often turned invitations down as his family were very poor. He spent his days looking in the allotment trying to search for food so he and his family could eat. Callum was a bit of an enigma in school. He didn't have many friends. No one had ever been to his house or hung out with him after school. This somehow made him kind of popular. This was why the girls were phoning him they knew if Callum turned up to a party that it would be newsworthy. One of the girls even said, Callum, if you come to this party, you will literally lose your virginity. An interesting offer, but Callum declined because he had more pressing matters to tend to. He needed to feed his family. He would spend his days looking for any vegetation that he could find. After spending many hours searching for the allotment, he was all out of luck. Callum gulped. He feared he would have to go home empty-handed. Unless... There was one other allotment. An allotment Callum was told to never enter. It was no ordinary allotment. It was called the unholy allotment. Where the soil whispered dreadful secrets to those who dared to listen. It was said that a cursed relic lurked within these shadowed grounds. Callum wouldn't let his family go hungry, so he did something he has never done before. He made his way towards the unholy allotment, its huge black cast iron gates surrounding the grounds. Callum's small frame managed to fit between two bars that had been slightly bent out of shape. The air in the allotment was thick and the soil, a peculiar shade of midnight black, whispered unsettling secrets to those who dared tread upon it. Here, the vegetables wore grotesque faces, their grins resembling wicked leers, while the fruit hung from gnarled branches like forbidden temptation. Pumpkins swelled to monstrous proportions, their leathery skins resembling faces of goblins and the strawberries gleamed with a supernatural red hue, as if they were dipped in blood. The scarecrow that stood guard in the allotment were no ordinary scarecrows. 
with hollow eyes that seemed to follow Colin. They sported tattered rags that danced airily in the wind, their wicked limbs reaching out as if to grab Callum. Callum couldn't help but feel that he was being watched, and indeed in the unholy allotment he most probably was. The scarecrows were known to mutter ominous threats. I'm gonna rip your fucking arms off. I'm gonna rip your fucking arms off. I'm gonna rip your fucking And the roses that clung to the twisted railings whispered secrets that sent shivers down the spine of Callum. After roaming the grounds, Callum came across what looked like a tomb. Engraved above the entrance was the name Ezekiel Bloodrath. The door to the tomb was open slightly, so Callum made his way in. Inside the tomb was candle lit. In the middle was the laying place of Ezekiel Bloodrath, surrounded by his personal belongings. Upon further inspection, Callum noticed a bag of seeds, a hose pipe, and what looked like fertilizer. Callum thought of a plan. He would start his own veg patch in his garden at home. So he picked up all three items and made his way out of the unholy allotment and back to his family cottage. Once home, Callum started digging into his garden, making a small patch. He planted the seeds, added some fertilizer and covered them with soil. He then connected the hose pipe to the tap and when he turned its sinister nozzle, an eerie green liquid oozed forth and the soil groaned in agony. Instantly, grotesque, otherworldly fruits materialized. The formed apples with chomping teeth, loathsome pumpkins that exhaled ghostly mist and root vegetables twisted into obscene shapes. But as with all things tainted by darkness, there were gruesome consequences. The very earth itself quivered and shivered as if it was convulsing. And from beyond the soil, a ghastly abomination was resurrected. A gruesome figure started climbing out of the mud. It was Ezekiel Bloodrath himself with hollow eyes aflamed and skeletal fingers outstretched emerging from the soil. Callum was paralysed with fear. He could feel his heart beating out of his chest. Ezekiel screamed, What have you done? Callum squeaked, I'm just trying to grow some food for my family. Ezekiel blood looked at Callum up and down in disgust and shout, Well, don't be using my hose pipe! And launched himself at Callum, but Callum runs out of the way, and runs to the front door, and slams the door shut. All of the wobble crumbs look at Callum, asking, What is the matter? Callum tells the wobble crumbs everything. The wobble crumbs, paralysed with fear, soon found themselves trapped in a nightmare. The menacing ghoul Ezekiel Bloodraft screaming that the hosepipe was his cursed tether to the world of the living and he would stop at nothing to reclaim it. The wobble crumbs come up with a plan. 
as they pushed Callum outside to fend for himself against Ezekiel. Callum is terrified, begging for forgiveness whilst hammering on the family home to let him in. This was when Ezekiel hooked the hosepipe around Callum's throat and dragged him onto the lawn. Ezekiel Bloodraft slid the hosepipe into Callum's mouth as he screamed and the green liquid oozed forth. And Callum screamed in agony with patches of straw-like hair sprouting from his arms and face, his fingers elongated into bony appendages, his feet twisted into gnarled roots as he gasped for air, his lungs filled with hay. He realised he was becoming a living scarecrow. Callum's eyes, now soulless orbs, begged for help, but he could only emit a haunting hollow sound. His body stiffened, his limbs contoured into unnatural angles, much like the scarecrow that guarded the apartment. Callum was fully transformed into a scarecrow, and before he knew it, he was standing in the same spot where he found Ezekiel Bloodraff's tomb. His mind remained trapped within the straw-filled prison of his new form, and his eyes, once filled with life, now gazed endlessly across the allotment, watching over the lifeless crops. Spooky, scary, slamming, send shivers down your spine. Shrieking, slamming, ish, whispers, you'll shake and quiver all the time. Slamming's in your closet, slamming's in the air. Slamming's all around you, he is everywhere. Slamming beneath your bed, slamming in your dreams. Slamming when you're fast asleep, slamming's not what it seems. Spooky, scary, slamming, send shivers down your spine. Shrieking, slamming his whispers, you shake him from all the time. Oh, bloody hell. Oh. Oh, you're awake, Danny lad. Long time no see, fella. Oh, Tom, I have had, I have had the weirdest of dreams. Oh, my God. Oh. That that was one hell of a boring episode of the of the, the talking mongoose thing. Ah yes, sorry, Danny lad. It's aimed for the weak heart, the weak, the weak, the weak eyelid. Let me tell you that for for nothing. Uh, would you, would, Danny, you've you've missed some great VHSs. You can take home with you. We've got um, um, uh, the haunted hostels of Europe. Uh, you'll love the ending. Uh, a parrot, uh, wobble crumbs. And next we've got um, the ballads of uh, Tom Slemon. It's not scary, it's just me singing. Uh, 
Oh, I know, Danny lad. This is a particularly scary, scary VHS that I've got off uh, on on the dark web. Uh, it's called The People of Featherhead. The People of Featherhead. If anyone misheard, The People of Featherhead. Um, by Woodsmith Productions. Spooky, spooky story. Tom, if you're interested, Danny lad. Tom. Uh, Tom. For the the last last one, right, last one, can you just give me a spooky, scary story? A spooky, scary, slimming story? Can I? (laughs) Have you heard this, Tiffany? (laughs) Can I tell him a spooky, scary, slimming story? Of course I can, Daddy Rad. This one is called... Animal harm. The year was 1997, and Peter was a very misunderstood boy. His second home was the headmaster's office, for all the wrong reasons. Not a day would go by where Peter's mother wouldn't get a phone call off the school. Peter always pleaded his innocence, but of little to no avail. Peter is known for being a bit of a loner. He often referred to himself as the lone wolf. This wasn't always the case. He was a very sociable child until his father left them. It was then he regressed. He started having an imaginary friend called Apollo who would regularly play with him. This caused him getting into trouble in school with the other children. He was always getting into fights, so his mother took him to karate. But Peter never really had any interest in the self-control art of karate. He loved the more wild approach to life. Peter's mother was at a loss for what to do with him. He would often wet the bed at night despite being 11 years old. His younger sister was the polar opposite. She was a very peaceful child who loved all things big and small. You would often find her in the garden looking under rocks and playing with insects or catching butterflies. Their mother would often catch Peter making his little sister cry by ripping the wings off the butterflies and other insects in front of her. Peter would always protest that he didn't remember and that he had blacked out whatever he had done was getting told off by his mother. But this time, Peter had gone too far. Peter's mother got called into the head teacher's office. Mr. Bumblebee asked Peter's mother to sit down and began telling her a shocking story about how Peter had set the school Wendy house on fire with children inside. If it wasn't for Mrs. Treacleberry doing her duties and keeping an eye on the children, this would be a police matter. This had kicked off Mrs. Treacleberry's PTSD. She'd been in a house fire a number of years ago in a massive gas leak explosion. Wink, wink, listener. Peter's mother was taken aback. Every few weeks, something like this would happen, but not to this extent. Last month, Peter got caught touching Casey Leghonk inappropriately on the school bus. Claiming Apollo made him do it because the lone wolf never goes hungry. 
Mr. Bumblebee breaks her trailer fort. Unfortunately, this is the last straw. We simply can't keep him at the school. Peter's mother knew exactly how to resolve this issue. This wasn't her first rodeo with getting her son off the hook with the headmaster. Peter's mother starts undoing her top button on her blouse and starts to lower her Adidas tracky pants and starts quickly getting undressed. Peter had grown accustomed to listen to his mother's wailing from the corridor outside the headmaster's hot office, like a scene from Forrest Gump. Oh, 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 oh. No, madam, not this time. Peter is expelled. Peter's mother was hurt. She slowly flicked his sambas back on. Later that night, Peter's mother was in floods of tears, talking to the landlady who owned a little ramshack flat in Bold Street, Southport, that Peter's family resided. She was telling her that she had no idea what to do with her son, when the woman said that her new fancy man, Brendan Rogers, has a sister that owns a farm. It's very much out the way in Shirley. Why don't they all go? Maybe the escape will do them all good. Working on the farm will make the boy a man. A few days later, Peter, his mother and his sister rocked up at the farm where they all were welcomed by a northern Irish lady. Peter calls her Miss Rogers. She helps the family get settled and she takes them on a tour of the ground. First, she takes them to the big, vast, open fields. These will be the fields that we'll harvest the potatoes. Peter was amazed. He had no idea potatoes were grown. He thought they were laid by sheep, but he didn't say anything. They walked up to the pen and saw one big pig laying in the mud. Peter rubbed his eyes thinking it was his mother, but it wasn't. Laying on the other side of the pig were three baby piglets. Peter's sister swooned over them. They're so cute. Miss Rogers nodded. Indeed, at this stage, they are not anyway. They moved on to the stable. Peter locked eyes with this stunning, majestic creature. Its rich, luscious brown coat was a deep, warm hue, resembling the colour of dark chocolate or polished mahogany. Even in the subdued light of the stable, it's evident that the horse had been well cared for, as its coat is impeccably groomed, free from dirt or blemishes. In the dimly lit stable, the horse's eyes reflect a calm, gentle demeanour. They are large and expressive, displaying a sense of intelligence and trust. The horse stands with a relaxed posture, one hoof casually cocked, indicating a sense of comfort in its surroundings. The stable itself was clean and spacious, with sturdy wooden walls and a bed of fresh straw underfoot. 
there's a sense of order and organisation with the neatly hung tact and groom equipment, a testament to the character and care provided by Miss Rogers. The horse's presence commands attention and admiration. Peter could feel his heart pounding with excitement. It was as if time stood still. His mother, sister and Miss Rogers had all moved on to somewhere outside the stable. When Peter's eyes scanned across the stable, he saw a mirror covered in dust. He walked over to it and gave it a quick wipe. That's when Peter noticed a boy's legs dangling from the top floor, swinging in the reflection of the mirror. Jesus, you scared me then. Peter said as he looked up. He could barely see anyone there at all. The sun was coming through the stable roof windows, casting the boy's silhouette. The boy laughed. She's lovely, isn't she? The boy said with an Irish accent. Luckily. Gesturing towards the horse. Oh yeah, Peter said. Is it your horse? I wish it was. I wish she was my horse, said the boy. Well, whose horse is she? Whose horse is she? The boy shrugged. I'm not too sure. Maybe ask Miss Rogers. Peter asked the boy what his name was, and the boy responded with, My name's Michael. But you can call me Mickey. All my friends do. The boys said their goodbyes, and Peter left the stable to catch up with the group. The rest of the family were outside the farmhouse. His sister was stroking a cat. Oh, isn't she wonderful here? Isn't it wonderful here, Peter? She said. That's when Peter heard a tune being whistled coming from the kitchen. So he peeped in to see two budgies sitting in their cage, bobbing their heads as one of them whistled a tune. Wow! said Peter. I've never seen a bear before that wasn't a pigeon or seagull. Ah, said Mrs. Rogers, you've met me boys. That's Mel and that's Danny, as she pointed towards the budgies. Are they named after Mel Gibson and Danny Clover? Oh, what lovely for weapon. I watch you almost every night on VHS, don't I, Mum? Peter's mother nods in agreement. Yes, they are. See, we already have something in common. Peter was chuffed. The rest of the day, Peter worked his socks off, harvesting the spuds, changing the straw in the horse's stable and picking the turds up from the pigs. Mrs. Rogers served him dinner, which was cottage pie. Peter had never heard of cottage pie. He looked at Miss Rogers and asked what it was. She explained, well, it's a minced beef, carrots, celery, braised in a comforting gravy, topped with buttery mashed potato. Peter was amazed. Celery and gravy? What an incredible UCL food comb! Miss Rogers looked baffled and looked to Peter's mother for help. His mother just shrugged at her. After dinner, his mother drew him a candle-lit bubble bath. Peter's behaviour that day was impeccable. As Peter lay in his hot bubble bath with bubbles near enough covering his head, 
on his shoulders, that is. Wink, wink, listeners. Peter couldn't get the thought of that gorgeous horse out of his head. He told himself that tomorrow morning he was going to ask if he could maybe take it for a hack across the meadows. That was when he saw a shadowy figure step into the candlelight. It was Apollo. You're right, Pete. What the fuck's going on here? You're not turning into a fag, are you? Uh, no. Peter said unsure. Peter then explained all about his day and how amazing the horse was. Apollo looked at Pete and asked him, Who do you think the horse belonged to? He also said that he should ask the buyer off he or she. Peter said he assumed Miss Rogers. Are you 100% sure? You need to find out because... That was when Apollo was cut off as he looked at the door and jumped back into the shadows. And just by magic, the door burst open and in walks Peter's mother. Who are you talking to? Come on, hurry up, out. Your sister needs to get in that. Peter climbed out the bath and his mother gave him a rub down to get him dry. This was when his foreskin got stuck behind his protruding penis head. Peter's mother spat on the head and rubbed in the tobacco scented spit into the helmet and the skin glided back over. Peter felt truly disgusted. Peter walks to his room and climbs in bed and puts Braveheart on. There was just something about Mel Gibson that made Peter feel all warm and fuzzy and cosy at night. He reminded him a bit of his father or Mr Bumblebee. Peter yearns for a father figure in his life. Near the end of the film, when William Wallace was doing his speech about freedom, Peter looked at the horse he was riding and asked his mother, Do you 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 think that's a real horse? Of course, she replied. Do you think that, that, that it's his in real life? No, I doubt that very much. His mother snarled. Well, well, whose horse is it? Peter said. He felt a surge of panic and desperation to find out. Peter's mother shrugged. Peter stood up and looked at her and gestured towards the window and said and and who and whose horse is that in the stable outside whose horse is that whose horse is that whose horse is that peter's mother could tell he was getting waved up and stuck in a leap so she stood up and looked out the window and said peter pointed the horse this morning in the stable. Whose horse is that? Whose horse is that? Whose horse is that? Peter's mother looked perplexed. I didn't see any horses this morning. Peter was outraged. The horse in the stable? The big fucking horse? How the fuck didn't you see it? Peter's mother smacked him across his arse cheeks and shouted at him, turn the VHS off and stormed out the room. Even Peter in the very dark room, crying. Peter wept into his pillow with tears of frustration when he felt a hand on his lower back. He turned around 
The sea? It was Apollo. You alright, Pete? Don't smudge your makeup. Is that bitch hit you again? Peter nodded. Let me see. Let me see. Come on, pants down. Peter turned around and lowered his PJs to reveal his pink bum cheeks. Apollo bent down and gently gave them little kisses on his bum. Your cheeks are still hot. She must have really hit you hard. Why did she hit you? Peter told Apollo it was because she was a horse denier. Apollo convinced Pete that once everybody was asleep, he should sneak downstairs and go to the stable and ride the horse home and show up at school with it. He would be the coolest kid in all of Southport and Kirsty Leghonk might not be scared of him anymore if he has a horse. Peter was thrilled with the idea. Why hasn't he thought of it? Peter laid in bed for around two hours, waiting and listening to the household members one by one go to bed. Peter must have fallen asleep for around one hour, but was awoken by someone whispering, Peter assumed it was Apollo playing one of his tricks. Once he was convinced everyone was asleep, he quietly climbed out of his bed and opened the big oak door to his bedroom. The floorboards were cold on his little feet as he tiptoed towards the stairs. He went down the stairs, each step perfectly measured to not make any noise. As he reached the bottom of the stairs, he heard someone in the kitchen. Peter's heart sank as he heard the microwave turn on, and the light emitting from the microwave lit up a small section of the kitchen. As Peter peeked around the corner to see who it was, he saw the back door leading into the garden close behind someone. This was Peter's chance. He made a fast dash across the doorway as he heard a huge bang from the microwave. Peter snuck to the front door and opened it ever so quietly until he made a gap big enough for his small frame to fit through. Peter closed it behind him and he soon felt the cold air hit him. Peter ran across the field towards the stable, looking back to make sure no one was coming after him. He had never felt so free. As he reached the stable, he had noticed the stable door had been left ajar as he tiptoed in not to spook the horse. Once inside, Peter could hear someone was in the barn. It must have been the same person that was in the kitchen. Peter ducked down behind one of the huge bales of hay and after a few minutes, he could hear a horrible commotion. It sounded as if the poor horse was getting tortured. Peter started to panic, his breathing getting louder and louder and louder. The louder he got, the more panicked of getting caught he was. This was when a hand from behind Peter grabbed his mouth and whispered, Don't worry, it's me. He turned quickly to see it was Apollo. Oh, thank God. Peter thought to himself, but Apollo looked scared too as he pointed 
with shaky fingers towards the dusty barn mirror he had wiped clean earlier. This was when Peter saw something that turned his blood cold. It was Mickey, the boy from the stable earlier on. He had what looked like a very sharp knife from the kitchen. He was punching holes into the horse that was now laying on the floor. Peter screamed. Mickey's head shot around and locked eyes with Peter in the reflection of the mirror. Mickey's bloodthirsty eyes were almost completely black and a demented smile arised one side of his mouth as he lunged at the haystack Peter was hiding behind. Apollo shouted, RUN! And boy did Peter run. He took his hands out of his pockets and ran for the stable door. Bursting through them, not caring for the noise he made, he ran towards the pig pen. That was when he had noticed all the baby piglets had been suffocated in their own poo pile. Their mother was cut from its belly to its throat. Peter had never felt fear like this, apart from the time he had a sleepover at his Auntie Nina's house. He ran as fast as he could. He ran as fast as his legs could carry him. He could hear Mickey's footsteps way too far behind him. This was when Peter kicked something hard and tripped. He tumbled to the floor, eating grass hard. Dazed, he quickly looked down to see he had tripped over the carcass of the cat. Its throat slit. Peter picked himself back up and ran towards the farmhouse, slamming the door behind him. The landing light switched on and Miss Rogers was starting to run down the stairs to see what was going on. This was when she saw Peter covered in blood and mud in floods of tears. His mother and sister soon followed, asking what was going on. Peter couldn't get his words out fast enough. Apollo woke me up and Mickey, my friend, was he was eating animals and, and the pigs and, and the cats and, and now he's trying to hurt me. The room fell silent. Miss Rogers looked terrified. Oh no, not again, said Peter's mother. Miss Rogers turned to her and said, What do you mean? Peter's mother explained, This has happened before with his sister's hamster, next door's cat, the, the, the dogs in the park that time. I'm so sorry, Miss Rogers. Please, please forgive us. Within the next few hours, the police had been called to the farmhouse and Peter was sitting at the dining room table, explaining himself to a policeman and a detective called Mr. Tom Treacleberry who refused to take off his scarf for some reason. Wink wink listeners. Anyway, Peter told Mr. Tom all about what happened with Mickey and Apollo at the barn. The cat, the horse, the pigs. Peter looked up at Mr. Tom and asked, Did the horse survive? Mr. Tom looked at Peter with anger and shouted, We asked the questions round here! He asked Peter to give him enough details on how Mickey looked. That was when Peter's mother spoke up. I'm sorry, officers, but Apollo and Mickey aren't real. 
They are his imaginary friends. His father left us to go backpacking across the UK motorways and had two best friends, Mick and Apollo. And ever since he left us, it's been his coping mechanism. Peter looked up at Mr. Tom, with his demented eyes turning to black and a half smile. Did the horse survive? Mr. Rogers said, what, what horse? I don't own a horse. Peter's head turned to her and says, well, whose horse, horse is that? As he pointed towards the microwave. What horse? I don't own a horse. Peter's head turned to her and says, well, well, whose horse, horse is that? As he pointed towards a microwave, the whole room was baffled. Peter repeated himself. I guess you could call him a repeater. Whose horse is that? In the photo frame! Peter's Irish accent getting stronger. Peter's mother walks over to the microwave and says, Oh dear, Pete. You're having a bad episode, aren't you, dear? This is a microwave. Not a photo frame. As she opened the door to show him, the whole room gasped as the inside of the microwave is splattered in Budgie's remains. Miss Rogers faints. Peter was assigned to a psychiatric hospital in the Isle of Man where he lived for a number of years. Up until 2006, it was his last known location before he broke out. To this day, his whereabouts are unknown. Happy Halloween, listeners. You have been listening to the Waffleless Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Waffleless Cast or Twitter at the Waffleless DW.